Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church, and we're so glad you're here. In case uh, we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. My wife and I got this whole thing started a while back, and I, I just, man, it is such a fun time to be at Substance. Many of you guys know uh, we've got a huge number of our Minneapolis congregation ministering at our Monterey, Mexico campus today. We, we're actually giving, we, we were going to give our, our, some of our, our Mexican band the day off, and so a lot of our, our leaders here are leading in Spanish, Lord help them, and, uh, but they're doing a lot of the same songs except in Spanish, it's awesome. So, but I, I, I keep getting texts like, oh my gosh, Pastor Peter, it is so cool here, I can't believe that we get to have a Mexico campus, we got to do this all over the world, and we are in Jesus' name, all right? So, and some of you, so get your passports ready, people, we're going to be doing this all over the place, and speaking about launching campuses all over the place, this Tuesday, you have an opportunity to even learn a little bit more about how we do that all over the place. I, I just, this, this Tuesday, you guys, coolest thing ever. Our church is going to be hosting pastors from all over the world. Probably the biggest pastors conference we've ever hosted, biggest leadership conference we've ever hosted. We literally have pastors flying in from Calgary, Toronto, Chicago, Omaha, all over the place for the Grow One Day Leadership Intensive. And uh, just in case you don't know what it is, my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, um, he pastors probably one of the largest churches in the United States. They had over 100,000 people show up to their services on Easter. I mean, think about that, right? Pastor Chris is actually who launched us, and it was the, he wrote the first check. Praise God, that first check really mattered. The other check came from my grandma, which, you know, your grandma will believe in you no matter what, right? But I, I just, I, for real, like Pastor Chris means so much to me, uh, a lot of the reason why we have been successful as a church and have been able to do multi-site the way that we've done is because Pastor Chris um, taught me these things. And so guess who's going to be in the house this Tuesday? Pastor Chris is flying up from Birmingham, Alabama just to teach you guys and all these pastors, okay? So that's a big deal, okay? It's not often that a pastor of that, that influence is going to come to Minneapolis, and so that's why pastors are flying in. And so I, I say this to you because I, I really want to encourage you, be praying for this, okay? Tuesday, 9 to 3, this will alter the entire Midwest because we're, we're, not, we're, we're here to take over, church. You understand? that, right? We're not here just to do us four and no more. We're here to, to launch life-giving churches. Less than 1% of, of people under 40 in the Twin Cities go to a church on a weekly basis, okay? Christianity is dying here. And we're gonna fundamentally change this, though, by starting a church planting movement, leadership movement. I, I just, when we were all fasting in January, I, I really felt like the Lord put it on my heart, Peter. Um, over the next eight years, we need to launch eight more campuses just like the ones you're meeting in today. Those of you at Westside downtown or right here at Northtown, we need to do eight more of these. And so, and many of you guys are going to be the leaders of these, these congregations. And so if you're available, okay, don't just pray for this Tuesday. If you're available, if you can take off of work, make sure uh, you just register because obviously there's breakfast and lunch in this. But I want to encourage you, get involved in the spread of God's kingdom. 
Are you understanding there is a move of God in our generation that we get to help lead? And so I want to encourage you, if you can make it to this Grow Intensive, uh, be there because I, I'm, I'm just telling you, you are going to be inspired. Now, uh, one of the things we've also done as a church is we've helped launch a lot of churches in Canada and, and we, we started a, really we do startup capital for church plants and one of the guys that I got to meet in the process of doing that is a pastor by the name of Justin Reimer who happens to be in the house. Justin, could you come on up here real fast? And now, now, you have to understand, Justin is, is like one of the coolest pastors I know. Pastors Vivid Church, by the way, cool name. And uh, pastors, in, he has a multi-site church uh, with campuses in Toronto and Vancouver. You live in Vancouver, of course. And uh, you have to understand, this guy is, he's really, really artistic. He does film like me, so he's like a brother from another mother. And really, like, and, and I, like when people are moving to Canada, in Vancouver, I'm like, but which is, by the way, the coolest city in North America, in my opinion. Like, and I've been to a lot of cities, okay? Every week I'm somewhere, coolest city in North America. I tell people that when they're like, where's your fa favorite places to go? I'm like, I would, in North America, I'm like, coolest city, Vancouver is number one. Yep. Toronto's right up there. And you have campuses in both. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. No, but, but for real, I, what I love about you most is that you have eight kids, because, ah, uh, that just, mm. you're, you're a church planning, you're church planning the Catholic way. You know what I'm saying? As they say, sorry, some of you got that joke, others of you, don't worry about it. But I, I just, seriously, you guys, this guy is a tremendous man of God. His wife is in the house, Jen. We love you guys so much. Just even getting to hang out with you guys this weekend has just revived the creativity in our souls, and I, I hope you guys feel the same. But I asked Pastor Justin if he would come and bring the heat today. And so wherever you're at, West Side, downtown Monterey, would you stand to your feet and give a warm substance welcome to Pastor Justin Reimer. Oh, come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Wherever you are today, whether in this room or one of those locations, why don't you just stay standing for one minute if you could. You know, honor needs to be given where it is due, and, and Jennifer and I feel so blessed to be here. And one of the commonalities that we have amongst uh, friends in churches all over the place is this common uh, statement that is made. Everywhere I go, when I'm in a church, I'm like, man, this church is awesome. Then I'm like, like what's, your, what's your secret sauce? Like, what, what's, what's the thing you do? And it is such a common thread. They go, well, we've got these mentors in Minneapolis. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas, they really pour into our lives, and that is why our church looks the way it does. You might not know this, but you are at the epicenter of a movement of churches that looks different, acts different, and interacts different because of the faithfulness of your pastors consistently saying yes to the Lord. So come on, you're already in a standing posture. Let's give a standing ovation. It is a real honor to be here. And if you could, before you sit down, I am on a, a kind of a pursuit, not only as a pastor, but as a scientist. Uh, I've been conducting a, an ongoing scientific, uh, kind of a statistical analysis. I have found this link, and, and, and there's journals coming out about it. It's being peer-reviewed right now. But this link between... Uh, giving someone a high 10 and smiling. 
It's impossible to give a high 10 without smiling. You can like dap someone up and look cool, but when you give a high 10, you have to smile. And so if you could just help me as I gather more info, if it still works in the Midwest, we're going to see. So if you can turn and give somebody a high 10, okay? Come on, hands up in the air like we're the winners. I don't know. It looks like pretty much 100%. All right, you guys can take your seat this morning. We are so blessed to be here. It is an honor to be on this platform and to teach the Bible today. Believe that God's got a word for us. And uh, as Pastor Peter said, we do have eight kids. And uh, you got questions, I know. If I, I'll just give you the answers real, real quick. It'll be helpful. No, uh, God is good to us. Chevy Express, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you didn't ask the questions, but you were going to. First question was going to be Catholic. We get it all the time. It's people's opening question. When you have a big family, they're like, well, you chose to do something awkward, so now I'm going to try to make you feel more awkward. <laughs> Second question, without a fail in our city, is like, how can you afford that in our city? It doesn't make sense. Vancouver is one of the most expensive cities in the world to live in. And it's like, well, you know, something around the lines of, well, God's, you know, he's been good to us. To prove that point, they say, well, what do you drive? Like, how good has God been to you? What are we talking here? Like Sprinter van? Or I'm like, no, nah, it's a Chevy Express van. I look like a jobber. I'm on my way to, you know, put up, put up some sheetrock. And uh, when, when, we, when we brought home our very used Chevy Express van with 12 seats, my kids were like, Dad. We've always wanted one of the cars that does this. These windows are awesome. They're really grateful kids. It's great. And, and then, then somebody will ask this. It's a, a combination of, of one of the two things. They either ask, all the same mom, all the time, guys, all the time, or were they all planned I'll literally be out with my kids. So, so my kids are, are, are 18, 17, 15, 13, 10, 8, 4, and 1. And, uh, and they'll go, so they all planned. Imagine if I'm like, okay, let's line up. Yes, yes, kind of, yeah. Oops, 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 you know. And so I don't know what they think they're going to get from me, but like, well, you chose it, so we get to ask you whatever we want to ask. And then usually the closing statement is this. It's like, it's like a little spar that happens. They're like, you know, we're going to get you with a little Catholic jab, and then what do you drive, uppercut? And then they think they've got me on the ropes. They got me right where they want me for, for the classic dad joke. They say, you know how that happens, right? <laughs> They're like, I thought of this. No one's ever thought of it before. And little do they know I've set a trap for them. I have them right where I want them because I look back, stare them deeply in the eye and say, oh, yeah, I know. My kids, they wish they could be here today. Uh, last year we went on a road trip across uh, North America in our Chevy Express van with the windows. And, and the highlight of their trip was not the NBA game that cost me, you know, a month's salary. It was, it was not the historical sites we stopped and saw. It was Substance Church. We rolled in here on a Thursday afternoon, hung out with staff. They're like, that play place, Dad, it's really awesome. We love Substance Church. It's like, hey, kids, should we go to Disneyland this year? They're like, yeah, or Substance, if that's on the table, Dad. 
We, we left uh, like with, with swag bags, and I don't know in the last 365 days if we've had a day where we haven't had one of our kids wearing a red Love Your City substance hoodie on their way to school. So we love this place. We, we, we feel at home here, and it is a joy to be here. I also love being in this part of America because it's this part of America that knows Canada exists. So thank you. The coasts are hopeless. They're hope, geographically hopeless. For, for two years, Jennifer and I and our kids, we lived in, in Los Angeles before we returned to Vancouver and pioneered Vivid Church. And, and man, some of the questions. I had this one lady come to me. She goes, now I have always been so curious about this. She goes, is Canada like part of America or it's more like Puerto Rico and Guam? And I thought, lady, that is so offensive on so many levels. It's offensive to Puerto Ricans, to people from Guam, to people from Canada. And then I thought this. I'm like, like, you said you were so curious for a long time. How curious were you? Because it's not that hard to figure out. Like, just pull out your phone. Let me help you with this. It was offensive to me because I'm someone who really loves maps. Anybody else love maps? Like, 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 you, you want to you just lock in my attention for a while? Let me see a map. When, when I see an area, I want to know how it interacts. Before we launched our church, I actually felt this challenge from the Lord to walk and pray over every street in our city. And so for seven months, I walked about 20 miles a day, and I mapped out the entire city on foot, and I prayed. And it was spiritual some days, but it rained a lot of days, and those days weren't very spiritual. But, but I got to know the, the fabric of our, of our city. I love maps. I used to have a map on the wall of my bedroom when I was a little kid. It was pulled out of the centerfold section of the encyclopedia set we had. It was an old, old map. I used to sit at, at bed before I would fall asleep and I would look at different places and think, I wonder what's happening in that place. I wonder what it would be like to go there. I wonder what Wyoming is like. That place sounds interesting. You know? I wonder what Kazakhstan might be like. And, and, and you know what I have found is that same curiosity to, to go somewhere and to do something, it, it really applied even from a very young age to my spiritual journey. Have you ever heard the statement, we're all on a journey? Like, like I want to go places, and I want to see what the Lord is doing. This morning before coming here, it's a couple hours difference plus the time change. I think it was about 3 a.m. internally when we woke up this morning. And I, I was talking with a pastor from Australia and another pastor from Italy, a pastor who's planting a church in South Africa. I was talking with our own team in Toronto and Vancouver. And I'm telling you, God is doing things all over the world. And there's this incredible curiosity as I see new places and context. What, what is the Lord doing there. This same curiosity existed in Scripture. If you look in Colossians chapter 1, I want to read a portion of this today. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae, a place that we believe he never actually physically visited. In this passage, he says, we've heard about you. It's like he could see it on a map. He knew where Colossae existed. He had heard some of the stories about what was happening in that place, but never actually visited it physically. He says this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that springs from a hope that's stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, 
The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and you truly understood God's grace. All around the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. As I read this passage of scripture, it feels connected in many ways to the the interactions that I have with people who are part of Substance Church. Pastor Nate visited our church last year, and it was so life-giving that people still talk about it on a regular basis. And and, and what I have, have found is clearly Substance Church is marked by faith. Like big steps of faith, a willingness to do things differently. Like innovation is not just an expression of your pastors. It's a conviction that they carry to continue to innovate and to, to reach people with creativity. That takes a lot of faith, and it's fueled by love, a love for people. So when I hear Paul writing to the church of Colossae saying, your love is legendary, your faith, it stands out. It's worthy of remarking about. It feels like a passage of scripture that would apply here as well. And into that context, Paul says this, because of your faith and because of your love, almost implying this, if you didn't have faith or love, we should probably talk about that. But since those bases are covered, he says this, verse nine, he goes, for this reason, since the day that I heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I want to tell you today, Substance, that my prayer is that God would fill us with a knowledge of his will. Corporately, yes, but individually. That every person would leave today with at least the confidence to begin to pray. That God would fill them with a knowledge of his will. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, show me. Show me your plan for me. Show me where you want me to go. At the very same time that I was developing curiosity for the world around me and looking at maps, I was praying prayers like this. God, wherever you want to send me, I'll go. Just show me your will for my life. I would pray it in private. I would pray it in in, in maybe worship settings like this. I'd find myself at an altar somewhere. I remember being about 12 years old at a summer camp saying, God, I just want to know what your will for my life is. And I was praying with with emotion, probably because I was convinced it would be bad. Isn't that funny? We pray, God, I love you so much, I'll do something I hate doing just for you. (laughs) Praying with emotion and and crying tears and not the the attractive type, the ugly type that has snot mixed in and going, God, I just want to know your will. And I'll be honest, he didn't give me a longitude and a latitude. No destination was given, so much so that I, I kind of concluded, at least for a season, that maybe God doesn't want me to know his will. Maybe you've had a similar conclusion that perhaps God is just playing a game of celestial charades and you don't know what it sounds like. And you're like, I, I don't know. I guess it's just such a mystery and it's impossible to ever actually know. One of the possible conclusions then is to assume that God's will, though he's not going to give us any hints or any help, it's all on us. The weight of the world is upon our shoulders and we are on a precarious tightrope of walking in his will, trying to do it all right. Sure, there's no net to catch us and, and, and it's all on us. And any mistake that we make in navigating the decisions of our life, we're sure the weight of the kingdom of God is resting on us. It's anxious, 
fearful. It feels like we're kind of in this all alone and all of heaven's watching and waiting to say, you missed it. There's another group of people that have come with this conclusion. Since God's will can't be known, I'll just fake it till I make it. I'll just be that person who leads with incredible confidence and bravado and goes, I knew that would happen. Like people, every time we've had a baby, who, who we, after a, the baby's born, we're like, ah, oh, it's a girl or it's a boy. And like, called it. I'm like, wow, that took a lot of courage to internally decide one of two options. That's crazy. You are incredible. You might be a prophet, you know. Totally knew it. I called it. I knew it was going to be one of those two. I called it. It's these people who, when it comes to the will of God, they're always like, hey, I was praying and I really feel like you and I. It's a God thing. And then a few weeks later, like I was praying and I just need to lay this relationship down. God has spoken. It's like, man, God is so capricious. He's just flip-flopping his opinion in heaven. It's these people who go, Pastor, I need a job. Can we pray together and believe? And then we do. And then they get the job. And then two weeks later, when they quit the job, they're like, God, just God was speaking to me. And I knew it would be this way. The fake it till you make it crew. And then there's some who, who have really taken waiting upon the Lord incredibly literally. They're like, I'm waiting. I'm good. I'm not that concerned with what God's will is for my life. God's God, and I'm just here. And so I'm just going to have my proverbial remote control and bowl of Doritos. And when God wants to wake me up, when he's good and ready, he can do so. And in the meantime, I'm just waiting on him. But, but the word used for waiting in Scripture is actually to, to wait with anticipation, to lean in and, and be expectant. But we've concluded God didn't give me clear answers about his destination. Therefore, he must not know or care to share his will for my life. The truth is, however, here when Paul says God wants to fill us with the knowledge of his will, it's this Greek word uh, for fill, it's the, the word plerao. And plerao, it carries with it a picture. If you were to, to put words to that picture, it's threefold. One of the words that is used to describe the type of filling that God wants us to have is to be crammed. Like, I'm going on a trip, I don't want to pay for a checked bag, and I don't know what the weather's going to be, so everything I own is going in this, this carry-on. I'm going to call a friend over. They're going to sit on the top. I'll get a pair of pliers to get the zipper on. It's all going in here. God wants you and I to be crammed with a knowledge of his will. Like, like everything we might need to fulfill that will is in there somewhere, and God wants us to be crammed. That has not been my experience. Another word to describe it is this word, uh, satisfied. Now, I look around the room. I see people who would clearly be from different cultures, and then my assumption would be that, that if we were to do, uh, you know, do a, a little survey, we would be from, our lineage would be from all over the map. But we have this one common trend amongst us. All of our grandmas don't think we've been eating enough lately, <laughs> right? No matter what, like you watch, you watch a, a movie where a grandma does that, and you're like, that's just like my family. You walk in the door, and grandma's ready with some baking, and then the, the meal is ready at the table, and she's pushing food your way. And eventually, there comes this time. It comes quicker for some than others. As you can tell, it's always been a, a, a slow journey for me. And eventually, however, you push away from the table, and you go, Grandma, I'm, I'm completely satisfied. I don't need any more. I don't even really want any more right now. The, the thought or sound of, of, of eating anything else isn't that attractive to me because I'm so 
satisfied. I have a lot to digest as it is. God wants our experience with his will for our lives to be like that. We can push back from the table and say, nothing else really tastes good. Nothing else really satisfies. I have a lot to work on and a lot to work with as I am. The third word picture given with this word plerao is the word furnished. Like you move into a new place and the day comes to move in and you walk in and you go, was it this small? The pictures made it look a little bigger. But then you start to unpack your boxes and put your things where you want them. And you, you have this moment where you say, oh, this is not just a house. This is feeling like it could be home. I could live here. That's the comfortability that God wants to provide in a knowledge of his will. That we would look around the life he's planned for us and say, well, this, this works. I could live here. It kind of suits me. Of course, when we're young, we're, we're convinced that the will of God for our life, like what we'll do for a career, who we'll marry, where we'll live, that, that it's going to be three things we hate, someone we're not attracted to, doing a job that's not fulfilling in a place we, we don't love. And for many, after they've checked those three boxes, they're like, I guess I'm just now fatalistically living in his will, and I'll do, do it until I die. But God actually wants us to be satisfied and furnished, to be crammed with the knowledge of his will. In order to do so, it's not so much a revelation of the, the destination, it's a life of destiny. And, and, and the truth would be this, now, now on any map, the most important detail is not where you're going. Like later on today, we're going to go to the Mall of America, and depending on what store we want to go to, we'll look at one of those big maps and we'll find, okay, F12, we're going to this section right here. But I don't have enough information to get there until I look at that little circle that says, you are here. Until I've owned where I'm at, the, the, the destination makes no sense. Sometimes I get people calling me, our, our, our church, I think, we did a recent count. Since we launched six years ago, we've been and, and gathered in 21 different physical locations. And, uh, and so from time to time, it's probably an indictment on our social media. People will call me the day of and be like, hey, so where is this place again? I'm like, just look online. You can find the address there. Thank God we've been in the same spots for a whole year now. It's been, been great. But we get that call like, well, where do I go? How do I get there? And the first question I have to ask is, well, where are you? I can't give you directions and say take two rights and a left until I know where you are. Some of us, what we're looking for God to do is to just give us the longitude and latitude so we can say, I'll meet you there. But, but the process of growing with God is not, I'll meet you there, it's we're going to walk this journey together. So collectively today, we need to, to own that spot in the journey of our life that says you are here. But I don't want to. Because I don't always like where I'm at. Anybody else? Like I don't always love if I were to put in detail the season that I'm in. I thought I'd be further by now. Some of the people who are my contemporaries have experienced more. And we look backwards and we regret a decision made and think if only I had known then I wouldn't be here. And so instead of living in this present and owning where we're at, we're living with some regret towards the past. Does this resonate with anyone? Or maybe we're just looking back at the glory days going, oh, the good old days. Back when my hairline and waistline were exactly what I wanted them to be, those good old days. 
Some people thinking spiritually, oh, back in the good old days when my, my passion was on fire and I was doing things for Jesus, oh, but now I'm 22. <laughs> you know, it's just not the same. And we laugh all 22-year-olds, but, but 40-year-olds or 60-year-olds or 80-year-olds, when would it make sense to look back and say our best is behind us? We look back, and the way we frame our past affects our opinion of our present. So I have learned to do this, and if you take notes, I would love it if you would write this down as well. It's kind of a helpful reminder for us. When I consider where I've come from, I'm thankful. Full stop. For the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm thankful because I got here. I'm thankful because that's where I was, but here is where I'm at. As Paul describes the past in verse 12, he says this, We give joyful thanks to the Father... Because he's qualified you. It could, could we all together just say, I am qualified? One, two, three. I am qualified. Not bad. We did pretty good in the room. I think those people watching other campuses might have done better. We're going to do it one more time. I am qualified on three. Ready? One, two, three. I am qualified. The Bible says this, that God has validated us. He's qualified us. He's made a statement, you are loved and you're, you're chosen. Have you ever gone to a place where you pay for parking? And if you buy something, they validate your parking. I have bought some things I did not want just to get that stamp of validation, which sounds kind of like our lives. Sometimes we're paying for things we don't actually want because we want temporary validation for the place that we're at. We want people to, to praise us for where we're at, and so we tell the part of our story that makes us look the best for validation. Well, when I look at my past, I'm not just validated temporarily. It's not just saved me a little bit of money. I'm validated by God. I'm loved and I'm chosen. You might look at your past and say, oh, that one big mistake, that is not what God sees when he looks backwards. And if we could begin to embrace the, the work of Christ in our life that has brought us here, we can look back and just be thankful. Not only am I qualified, the Bible says this, he qualified me and he, so that I can share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. How good is that? Not only am I qualified, I am rescued. If we could say that on three. One, two, three. I am rescued. God rescued me. It would be possible, I suppose, for God to somehow, whether it was, you know, writing on a wall or a sign from heaven, say, I like you, but you got yourself into this. Get yourself out of it. You know, we're sure that's in the Bible somewhere. But God didn't just say he likes us. He actually sent his son, the prize of heaven. The greatest, the supremacy of God in a form of man that he could come and live amongst us and into this world that we might live through him. He's rescued us. You ever wonder your value? You look back and you look at your mistakes and God looks back and he looks at the solution. He sent his son Jesus that we could be covered by his blood. I'm qualified. I'm rescued. Number three, it says this, uh, as, as we continue in this section, it says, for he's brought us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption. I'm telling you, friends, not only are we qualified and rescued, but we are redeemed. 
Your past has been redeemed, meaning God has reframed it. That, that not only did he come and, and bring the full-on assault, frontal assault of Jesus making a mockery of sin in the grave, saying, hey, death, that's the best you got, and he grittied on his grave, and he made it clear to everyone that like, there's nothing that holds us back. But he didn't just break our handcuffs and leave us behind bars. He's redeemed us. The psalmist put it this way, that he reaches down and pulls our life up out of a pit. I'm redeemed. Can we say I'm redeemed on three? One, two, three. I'm redeemed. redeemed. He's qualified me. He's rescued me. He's redeemed me. Why would I look at my past and, and, and point out the flaws in my way? And regret, if only I had made four better decisions in the 90s, I wouldn't be here. We recently had a little team retreat. We had a 90s theme. Our team was like, we're going to go way back. We're going to do something from 30 years ago. And I was like, oh, a 70s party. They're like, yeah, 90s party. And it hit me. And my kids were like, so, Dad, way back in the 90s, what was that like? <laughs> We look back, we're like, if only I'd done things different. And God's like, man, I brought you to where you are right now by qualifying you and rescuing you and redeeming you. And then it says this, and he has forgiven our sins. I'm forgiven. I suppose it would be possible for God to say, I like you, and I've sent my son to rescue you, and I'm putting you on solid ground and redeeming you so that for all eternity, I get to do this. How could you? Like, like. We wouldn't actually put it in those words, but some of us approach God as if that's his opinion of us. Just what did you do to Jesus? I'll be honest, I've been in some, some church services, and I've probably, in years past, been leading some of those services where the whole point was to remind people just how bad we have been and how much it cost the Lord. And here's how God wants us to look at our past. Qualified, rescued, redeemed, and forgiven. When I look back, I'm just, I'm just thankful. It helps me to own where I'm at when I can look back and see gratitude. I'm thankful. In fact, if you could, could you turn to the person beside you and just help me out? Just say, neighbor, come on, we could all do this together. We got this. Okay, say, neighbor, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm thankful for my past. Okay, that wasn't too convincing. Turn to the person on the other side. Say, neighbor, I'm not going to lie to you. You were not my first choice. But I'm thankful for my past. It is an act of will to determine I will not reframe my past through a lens of my own regret, through a lens of my own disappointment, through a lens of my own embarrassment, when I look back, I'm thankful. Amen. Well, what about the future? Because some, as we look to the future, we, we listen to the, the common rhetoric that says it's only getting worse from here. As we look to the future, we begin to think like, like it really is pretty hopeless. As we look to the future, maybe we are, are pining for something better and it's a hard time to embrace the present because the better will come after the situation changes. In our family, we've got some phrases we're not allowed to say. Some of them would be common for most families. One's probably pretty unique. We are not allowed to say, I can't wait. 
Because you have to, and so you can. Like, if we're going to say things, they might as well be, I can't wait until tomorrow. Like, well, you actually have to, okay? That's just the way time works. We are stuck in time. But when I look at the future, I, I, I consider where I am going. I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful. I, I get asked this question. you got eight kids. What are you thinking? Like, after all of the, the, the joking stuff, they're like, the world is in just such a bad place. How can you do that? How can you look at the future and subject your kids to, to this? And, and I'm like, well, I, I look at the future with great hope because I have eight kids. 2065, oh, it's going to be a good year. My youngest, they're going to be coming into their prime. Like, like they're going to be doing things and making changes. When I look forward, I'm hopeful. And this is not just a determination of my will. It's not a fake it till I make it declaration. I see it in Scripture. Look all the way down to verse 27. Paul is talking, and he says, To them God has chosen to make known the, amongst the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Here's the mystery. Christ in you is the hope of glory. I carry within me, and if you're in Christ, you do as well, this glorious hope, so much so that Paul could say, the light and momentary trials that we face today are nothing in compared to the glorious riches of the future that God is bringing us into. And he said it while imprisoned. He, he said it while experiencing oppression. He experienced while being misunderstood. He could look to the future and say, this, this is nothing. I can endure this. I can carry this because my future is hopeful. When I look back, I'm thankful when I look forward, I'm hopeful. I, I, as hopeful as I am, I can't say that I can't wait until the future. Too many people, I can't wait until I can get my driver's license. I can't wait until I graduate and then can't wait to go to college, get accepted into my program. Can't wait to get into a different program because I picked the wrong major the first time. I can't wait to get into this career path. I can't wait for that promotion. I can't wait to retire. And they live their whole life. Just can't wait until the next thing. But, but, but in this tension that exists between the already and the not yet, I look back and I'm thankful. I look forward and I'm hopeful. But what about right now? That moment in your life, that you are here moment, when you get to a new city and you got to pull out your phone and try to do the thing where you recalibrate. And so that little dot on the map begins to show you where you're at. What about this moment? This moment's wonderful. When I consider the present... It carries with it all the wonder. This is where life is lived. Life is not lived in the past. It is not lived in the future. It's only ever lived in the present. And a moment that is in the future is streaming towards us at 60 seconds per minute. And that moment has now become the past. We have but this moment to experience his ever-present Help in times of trouble. We have but this moment to, to know God is drawing near to us. We have this moment to be filled with the knowledge of his will. His will is not just the story of our past. It's not just the story of our future. His will is about this moment right now. Not the destination, but the, the destiny. Let's go back to verse 9. He says this as we, we repeat it for this reason faith and love. Since the day I heard about you, I've not stopped praying for you and continually asking God to fill you with a knowledge of his will 
through all wisdom and all understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Well, that sounds wonderful. That you may please him in every way. That sounds wonderful. That you may bear fruit in every good work. That sounds wonderful. Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and great patience. That, that word fill, which means to be crammed or satisfied or furnished, it comes in a tense that unlike English where we either have past, present, or future, this word is used in what is called the aorist tense. And the aorist tense is not past because past is not big enough. It's not future because future is not big enough. It's not present because present is not big enough. It encompasses all of them. In essence, Paul is saying this. I'm going to keep on praying that in every phase of your life, God's will would just be filling you. That you would find yourself being filled. You can't go fill yourself, but that you'd posture yourself for God to fill you with an understanding of his will, not for where you will end up, but for this moment. That you would sense the nearness of God in the past, in the present, in the future, overarching it all, making you strong, making you fruitful, making you effective, feeling and experiencing the pleasure of God over your life. Years ago, when we lived in Los Angeles, there was this one day I, I was taking a flight, and uh, it was for a ministry trip, and uh, I, I am a, a last-minute packer. I don't know if anyone else would, would share that, but I call the Uber, and then I, I find where I put my suitcase last time, and then I, I put, put stuff in it, and I kind of cram it in. And uh, somebody like, Pastor Peter, why would you let this guy on a platform? A last-minute packer can't be trusted. It's unsafe. It's erratic. I just like living on the edge, I guess. Well, this particular day, I, I, I knew I had a flight in a few hours, so I hadn't thought about packing yet. And, and then I got a phone call, and it was the person who had booked our tickets. There was a group of us. We were actually on our way to, a, to an art conference. And, and they said, hey, so bad news. Um, we made a mistake, and the flight actually takes off in an hour. I said, well, that is pretty bad news because it's – it's a Monday, and the traffic's bad, and I live about an hour from the airport at this time on this day. So that's not great news. And, uh, you know, being that I'm Canadian, I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry that that happened. <laughs> the best way to tell someone's a Canadian is you go stomp on their foot, and when they say sorry, you're like, oh, Canadian. <laughs> Amazing. I'm like, man, I'm so sorry that that happened, but thank you for calling and letting me know. The thank you even though it's a Canadianism, is not real. I'm actually angry on the inside. We're polite but mean. You can see it in our comedy, okay? And so I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. That must be stressful for you. And, but thank you for calling me. And so, so as I, I'm talking to them, I'm calling an Uber and putting things in my bag and then quickly working my way, you know, kissing and hugging my whole family. And uh, the Uber pulls up. And, and I, I jump inside, and I'm like, hey, if we could just get to LAX as quickly as possible. He goes, what do you mean by as quickly as possible? I said, well, uh, my flight takes off in <clears throat> about 59 minutes. And he shoots a look at me through the rearview mirror. He actually swore with his eyes. I didn't know you could do it until that day, but it was very, very clear. And he goes, 59 minutes, why are you wasting my time? There is no way 
that we can get there in 59 minutes. That's not happening today. So why are you doing that? I'm thinking, dude, you're getting paid. But because I'm Canadian, I said, hey, I'm so sorry, bro. Yeah, I know. I understand. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's try. And so, so we pulled onto the road, and he's kind of fuming. He's just steaming. I just can't believe we're doing this. Just getting on the 405. I don't know if you've ever been in, in the Los Angeles area, but the 405, if I were to describe it, uh, the Bible talks about, you know, makes that statement on earth as it is in heaven. The 405 is on earth as it is in hell. It's America's longest parking lot. I have seen people gnashing their teeth on the 405, okay? And we pull onto this road, and he's still just kind of fuming, and I just can't believe you're doing that. Like, this is crazy. You should have been more prepared. I'm like, yeah, I know. Have you ever felt that way about the spot where you're at? You're like, I probably should have seen this coming. Like, I'm kind of here by my own fault. I could have I double-checked. It's no one else's fault. I got to kind of own that, and and we get on to the 4 or 5, and I just prayed this prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer like this, but I'm like, God, if you could, then you should. You know? Don't really know what words to put on it. I, I, I try to kind of frame it. Maybe you've prayed prayers like this. I'm like, so God, I've been doing pretty good lately. Don't forget, I do sponsor a child. You know? I just want to bring my credentials, my resume. And I'm thinking, like, God, if you could just open it up. I know it's kind of my bad, and anything, but I, don't, I want to be on this trip, and I don't have to pay out of my pocket. And if you could do it, and as I'm praying, I'm, I'm not sensationalizing at all. The, the people in front of us just all started putting on their signal lights and in, in parting, you know, the slower lane and the faster lane. We're going, and as we're driving, like, it's, it's, it's just happening over and over and over and over and over and over. And the driver, he, he looks back, he's like, this is weird. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty weird. He's like, no, 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 this is crazy. I've never seen this before. And inside, whoo, my faith is starting to stir. You ever had that where it's like you can see a miracle and it's happening, it's on the way, and inside I'm getting all excited. I'm like, God, I know you can, you know, you heal the blind, you raise the dead, but if you could open the 405. This was like a Moses and the Red Sea experience. We got to the airport. In 24 minutes. Now, 24 minutes is the amount of time it takes on a, a like midnight with no traffic. It's just if the road were clear. God cleared the whole road for me. And I felt pretty special. And as I walked into the airport that day, I was certain there would be trumpeters waiting at the door. He has arrived. You know, it just felt like so majestic. And I walked in and I saw the longest line in security I've ever seen. And my faith was shot. Anyone else ever been there? Like, a, what have you done for me lately? It's just shot. I'm like, well, God, you brought me here into the wilderness to abandon me. What will the Egyptians say? You know, I want to go back to Egypt where there was leeks and onions. The weirdest reference in Scripture, by the way. I'm craving some more onions, God. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's, I'm weird, you're not weird, okay? It's just the Sunday school stuff. I get there, and I'm instantly, I'm like, oh, God, man, come on. Like, oh, you're making me ask for another miracle? There's no way I'm going to, I'm got here in a, just to be disappointed. Maybe when you look at the circle where you're at right now, you feel a little bit of that way towards God. You're like, okay, yeah, thanks for rescuing me, but my life's so awkward right now. It still sucks. I'm still stressed. I, I still have so many bills to pay. Why'd you show me that you love me only so I can be frustrated with my roommate? I hate my job. Like, like I felt that kind of frustration. 
Some of you are like, man, this guy's not spiritual. I would not feel that. I would just be thankful. <laughs> and so I mustered up just enough faith there to like, God, I don't know. I don't know what you could even do, but if you could. And someone came walking up directly to me. They said, sir, are you late for your flight? I said, yeah, a little late. Can you see it on my face? They said, well, just come through the express line. No problem. And they walked me up in front of all the people who had been lined up in front of me. They said, just come this way. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. I walked right up through the express line. Did you know this thing exists? They don't scan your bag. Your belt stays on your waist. Your shoes stay on your feet. I felt super special and way more unsafe all at the same time. I'm like, this has always existed? And, and the soundtrack in my soul at that time was all organ, like deep organ. It was, my God is for me. I am the head and not the tail. I am a victor. I'm walking up to the front of the line. I just feel, I'm like, man, I could move mountains today. Even a faith like a mustard seed, God can open up roads for me. He's certainly got a destiny for me. He got me to the front of this line. I'm going to go ask for an upgrade. I'm feeling it. Maybe for some, as you look at where you're at, even pondering, you're like, oh, my life is pretty good. God is with me. I should ask for more. Yes, you should. I got to, got to the front of the line, worked my way up there. I said, hey, how you doing? Uh, Carol, great name, Carol. Uh, Carol, just wondering, can't help but notice, I'm in the back row, in the middle section, in the middle seat. Is there anything maybe a little better than this? And you know what's crazy? Carol, she looked at me with the same look as the Uber driver, swore at me again. <laughs> she must have been Canadian because she was super polite. She's like, sir, the computer shows that you just walked in. So you should just be happy that you're on this plane. Maybe you've got a Carol in your world who, who's telling you to be just a little less hopeful for the future. You should just be happy that you are where you are. And you're trying to navigate to where God might want to take you. And you're like, you should just be grateful. I'll tell you, I walked back. I couldn't be too upset. He opened the highway. He got me through the line. But in my head, I actually, I thought this, oh my God, if that had happened, that I would have preached about. Just saying. Could have used that one in a message. So I was at the back of the line and working my way to the front. I'm the last person to board the plane. As I'm passing Carol by. She goes, oh, sir, by the way, did you still want an upgrade? I'm like, Carol, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> as long as it's better than the middle seat in the back row of the middle section, I would love an upgrade. She goes, sir, you're going to love this upgrade. I'm going to put you in the section where flight attendants sleep on long-haul flights. In this section, there are two beds. It's curtained off, and you're right by the kitchen. They're going to bring you stuff. You're going to love this spot. And I was like, guys, come on. I might be a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. God, my future's so bright. You know, my past, all of us, we have a dark past and a bright future. But me on that day, I'm like, the spotlight is on my life. God is so good. All, all, the, all of a sudden, you know, that old song, like, heaven met earth with a sloppy wet kiss. I'm like, I feel it, God. It's, it's just sloppy and wet right now. This is, this is beautiful. I walked in that plane, and, and she did not oversell it. It was a fully reclinable bed. There was buttons and little gadgets everywhere, and I got down in this. There was a lady sitting beside me, and I was just, you know, trying everything out. Yeah, like this is the section where they don't even tell you you have to put your seat up for safety because, really, this is dangerous, but this is safe. 
No, I'm fully reclined. And I turn over to the lady beside me, and I'm like, <laughs> right? Like, how's, how are you doing? She said, I, I'm having the worst day of my life. And for just a second, I'm like, oh, man, I just wanted to enjoy this flight. For two hours, she begins to tell me a story of incredible tragedy. That morning, she had found that her husband had been in a long-term affair. When confronted, he had said he has no intention of staying with her. She had a six-month-old and a two-year-old. And since the babies, she just wasn't as attractive to him anymore. For two hours, she began to verbally process, where do I go from here? Like, like, and she was pulling up pictures she had found on their shared account of him with, with different women going, what do I do with this? And it was kind of like an all-men-are-scum type thing, and I'm just taking it because I'm Canadian. you got to be polite. And after two hours of her just pouring out the, the most heartbreaking story, she said, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm glad I didn't just you know, put on the little eye mask. I said, you know, actually, I'm a pastor. She said, wait a minute. You're Canadian. I said, well, yeah, was it my story? She goes, you have a big family, don't you? I said, yeah, I do. I'm like, it's a little creepy now. She goes, you like to tell stories when you preach, don't you? I said, yeah, I'm known to tell a story or two. And all of a sudden, the anger breaks on her face, and it gives way to tears. Tears begin to flow, and not the pretty kind. She's bawling her eyes out. She said, you'll never believe this. Last night at random, I was searching for a podcast. I listened to the sermon you preached last week. Your name is Justin. She goes, I had I, never listened to a sermon before. I listened to that sermon. She goes, today, one hour before the flight took off, I decided to get on this plane, and I prayed a prayer. God, if you're real, I need proof right now, or I'm done. I, I, I'm, I'm done with life. I'm done with my future. I'm done with my kids. She goes, I guess this means that I need to get saved. Is that what you call it? She goes, I need your prayer. Uh, she pulled out her phone. She goes, I'm recording this. And there we were, reclined in row 17, and, and, and we are praying, and she's crying, and I'm crying. And, and the, the flight attendant comes by, can I get you anything to drink? And I'm like, we're kind of in a moment here. But if you have club soda with a little squeeze of lime, that would be awesome. And we're praying. 35,000 feet above the air, she gave her life to Jesus. The rest of the flight, she was asking questions. So, how do I help my daughters have a better mentality in the future about marriage? Like, asking real questions. And, and I, I pastored her for a few hours. I can say today, my friend Crystal is still serving in the house of God. Her daughters know Jesus. She started a business. It's thriving. She's moving forward in faith years later. And on that day, in that plane, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, son, when God's a, a little bit frustrated with me, he calls me son, which oddly enough is what my dad does. It's funny how those two connect. He said, son, all day long, you've been trying to, to figure out what I think about you based on your circumstance, essentially playing he loves me, he loves me not with circumstances. He said, of course I love you but I love Crystal. 
And he reminded me of being 12 years old and praying a prayer, God, just show me where you want me to go and I'll go. He never told me who I'd marry in that moment. Never told me that I might live in some place and be late for a flight and get on a 405, but don't worry, I'll open it up. Never told me about, about Crystal. He goes, from that moment, you made a choice that, that your future was in my hands. So, so are you really willing to be inconvenienced so that your story can interact with other people. And, and if it was not for the reclining seat, I would have been on my knees that day saying, God, just like I, I'm done. I'm over trying to figure out what you think of me. You've already proven it in my past. I'm over on trying to anticipate my future. All I know is that it's glorious and it's hopeful. But in my present, I never want to miss the wonder of what you might do today. I don't want to miss a moment of what you're doing in my life. I have determined and discovered that his will for my life is not the destination. It's a destiny of walking with him. And I would love to pray with you today. Across the room, if you would stand to your feet, we're going to pray. We're going to believe together that, that God would begin to open our hearts to have the courage to believe that he's at work and he wants to fill us with the knowledge of his will. Jesus, I pray right now for every person in this place that, that we would begin to frame our past with gratitude, frame our future with hope, but live so locked in the present that we don't miss moments. God, may my, my self-centeredness never cause me to miss what you want to do. Again, Lord, I say my life is yours. It's in your hands. I don't know what the future holds, but I know you hold it. And so hold me, carry me, walk with me. And for every one of my friends here, may we be filled, crammed, satisfied, and furnished with the knowledge of your will. Not just in the past, not just in the present, not just in the future, but over it all. Our lives are yours. They're in your hands. As we stand here, I'm aware of this. There might be someone in this room or watching online who right now your, your life is like crystals. Right now you feel more hopeless than you've ever felt. Maybe today you've prayed a prayer. I need a sign that I'm seen, understood, and known by God. I need a sign. Well, my friends, this is your sign. God sees you. He loves you. He has not missed you. He's got a plan for your future that's glorious. He wants to meet you right now. So in Jesus' name, God, would you lead our lives according to your will. Amen.